you really are a breath of fresh air as a leader. When you are when you have self-awareness, oh my gosh, you can grow and you can grow exponentially. The lessons that I learned in those really tough years though were invaluable. I would be a completely different person if I hadn't navigated mm -hmm. all of that. I learned to really look inward that we have the capability to overcome any challenges put in front of us and we have to face them. About two years ago, when I was asked to step up and lead my organization at the level that I'm at now, I, I realized that I need to do it my way and I can't put on the, the job of president like it's a blazer. I, I have to actually do it from the heart and do it the way that I do it and trust that that's gonna be good enough. Today, we are an excellent company with the president of Campus Door, Sarah Parrish. Let's start by just sort of telling the audience, what do you do now? And then I'll get into some questions. Um, so right now I lead a technology company that focuses on the origination of student loans um, and other student higher education related products. Um, so our company is one part technology company, one part processing company, um, and a, a whole bunch of amazing people. And I am um, thrilled to have the honor of, of leading this organization at this very, very exciting time for us. Well, goodness, how many students have you touched throughout this country? Do you have a head count? Yeah, so we're we uh, several million, about 2.2 million students that we have served. Wow, that's got to be so fulfilling to know that you're helping to fund their education. It really is. I, I mean, education is is one of those things that uh, we, we believe that everyone's entitled to pursue, um, but it's very, very expensive. Mm -hmm. And that gap between what students can get uh, in scholarships and federal loans um, versus what higher education actually costs is large. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we love empowering lenders to kind of uh, deliver creative products to get in there and, and make sure that those students have the options to, to pursue the education of their dreams. Well, uh, I'm probably grateful for you at one point in my career, right? But I paid off my student loans for all those listening in. Um, and for those of you who haven't yet, I know you're on that track. So let's go into how did you get where you are today? I mean, did you just decide one day you wanted to open a student loan company? No, <laughs> no. It's been an interesting path, I think. Um, I actually, I, I majored in English and environmental science in college and had a really kind of interesting, uh, like twisty, turny path to, to get where I am today. Um, I, I ran government services contracts. I... Um, I worked at a hospital for years. Um, I worked for an engineering company, kind of tapping into the environmental science uh, aspect of my education. But like so many people, you know, last big recession in 2008 kind of followed me. Mm -hmm. So I think that that kind of pushed me from industry to industry a little bit. I ended up uh, working for an engineering company when some of the municipal backlog was drying up, which actually trailed the recession by a few years. Um, and, you know, things were kind of getting a little mm -hmm. dicey there. Um, and uh, at the time I was in grad school. Well, I met some people that worked for a large student loan servicer. Um, I was very interested in, in getting into um, leadership roles. And I ended up making uh, a, a really kind of hard pivot in my career to being a supervisor for a large student loan servicer. So took a step back in my career in the interest of getting kind of into the leadership field and grew from there. It's about 12 years ago now that I made that leap, um, spent several years in servicing, and, and now for the last eight years have been on the origination side. 
Um, I love the origination side. It's my favorite so far uh, because this is really where the innovation mm -hmm. is. Um, it's, it's where we have the opportunity to actually do things that are different, that are new, that are exciting. So we really, from where, where we sit in the industry, get to drive some of the exciting new stuff. So that's, that's why I really like where I am now. Where did you learn your leadership skills? Was there someone that you followed? Is it instinctive? But give me sort of your track to become this great leader you've become. I think that uh, I've had I've had the privilege of working for just some absolutely amazing leaders. And when I think about, uh, you know, what they all have in common and the things that I've wanted to emulate, I mean, each of them have have this each of the, the great leaders that I've worked for have really different ways of doing it. So it's not that they've all been the same. They've all been very different, but they're all very true to themselves mm -hmm. and they're all very authentic. Um, and so I strive to lead with authenticity first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Um, about two years ago, when I was asked to step up and, and lead my organization um, from, from a, at, at the level that I'm at now, I, um, I, I wrestled a little bit. I had a few days where I was, you know, just not doubting that I could do it. I, I knew that I could do it, but just, um, you know, just thinking about how I would do it. And in those, in those kind of crazy couple of sleepless days while I was really wrestling with it, I, I realized that I need to do it my way. Um, and I can't, you know, put on the, the job of president kind of like it's a blazer. <laughs> I have to actually do it from the heart and do it the way that I do it and trust that that's going to be good enough um, and trust that the people that I am accountable to will believe that that's good enough. And fortunately, so far, I think it's worked out just fine. Well, when you think of leadership today, and I heard you say there was a common theme among all of them and being authentic was one. Uh, when you're looking for a leader, I'm assuming you want authenticity. What other qualities do you want? Curiosity, mm. I think, closely follows authenticity. Um, for, for me, you know, I, I've tried to uh, approach every job like it was the job that I was going to be in for the long haul. Um, I've tried to develop competency along the way and really, really get nosy, get curious, understand how everything works and really master it. I, I highly value that mm. in the leaders that report to me that that, you know, that transcends generations that transcends it, it transcends everything. I mean, anyone at any point in the organization can be like that. But in my mind, um, you know, that that is what makes somebody successful in really probably most industries and most organizations, but certainly ours. And you can't teach someone to be curious. I, I can teach someone how to handle you know, HR situations, I can teach someone this industry, I can teach someone the compliance aspects of it, but I can't teach someone to be curious, you either are or you aren't in my experience. Mm. Um, but you know, beyond that, you know, you can be authentic, and you can be curious, and you can still be a little bit of a jerk. Um, in our organizations, we in our organization, we, we don't have those, um, th those don't work out very well for us. So empathy, I think, kind of follows those mm -hmm. those other two things as something that is absolutely critical um, to, to be able to lead the way that, that I want, I would expect people to lead and, and the way that I expect to be led. Have you ever had a really bad boss? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think we all have. I've had I've had some doozies. I've had some doozies, but I found that I've actually in some cases learned more from the ones that I didn't jive with than the ones that I have. Um, you know, it, it's it's good. You kind of learning how not to be is is almost as important as learning how to be. And I, I think that, you know, some of the some of the leaders that I've had that, you know, maybe I won't say they were bad bosses. Maybe they were somebody's perfect boss, but they weren't the perfect boss for me. Um, you know, a, a lot of them, I've always tried to really reflect on it and, and figure out what was working and what wasn't. Some of it is just that, you know, people's expectations shift over time. 
and perhaps the way that they were leading me worked really well uh, at various points in the past and just didn't work for me at that point. Um, for me, one of the things that's been really that that's been tough and has probably defined like what is a bad boss for me is somebody who kind of hold, holds me down. Mm. Um, I try to think about that all the time as I'm lifting up the people that report to me. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't presume to have all the answers and I don't ever assume that everyone thinks and acts exactly like I do, especially the people that, that, that I lead. I mean, I embrace the fact that we're all different. That makes our organization so much stronger, but, um, I do always try to make sure that I'm, I'm empowering them and getting out of their way and lifting them up and shining the spotlight rather than, than holding people down because I've left organizations because of that in the past and don't want that for any of the people that I'm responsible for right now. I'm sort of smiling because, uh, you, you're just the kindest human being because you just sort of gave an excuse for bad bosses. Like maybe they weren't good for me. Maybe they were good for somebody else. That you have this beautiful quality about you. Uh, hopefully you've heard that. I'm Certainly you've probably heard of that multiple times. And if anybody's just listening to this podcast, I encourage you actually to watch it. Because, Sarah, you glow, whether you know that or not. <laughs> And I just want to be your friend because I'm just going to feel better about myself being around you. But just in hearing you, because I've had bad bosses and I'm not making, I'm not, I can't be here. I cannot go. I think they were probably good for somebody else. I don't know if they were really good. But anyway, and mine was very much with yours where they held you down. They didn't build you up. So mine is either build them up or beat them up. And I felt like my old boss was a beat them up. Now he'd build you up for a minute to make you feel good. And then he'd put you in your place type thing. So how did you become this light? I mean, tell me a little bit, because when you say empathy and being authentic, someone helped us along the way to become that. Maybe you were just born that way, but I'm guessing there's some people that have influenced you. So I'd love to hear sort of who's inspired you and who's, who's been that influence for you to be that light? I was, I'm fortunate to come from a, a, a family that, you know, was just wonderful. I mean, my parents are are huge influences on me to this day and, and really, really supported me along the way. But I, I watched, especially my father um, working in the law enforcement field, kind of kind of um, watched him even try to bring empathy to that. And, and even even now, you know, he's he's, uh, you know, been in that field for a very long time and is constantly kind of reinventing himself and now is, um, you know, working in a different element of that field that's very much, you know, trying trying to shine a light on people and, and lift people up. And that's not necessarily typical of that field. So, you know, I, I definitely watched him navigate a career where it, that was not the um, the common way to be, but that was the way that he approached it. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and watched him have successes, but also be able to look at himself in the mirror. And, and for me, that's huge. Um, I, I, I enjoy the, you know, I, I certainly am, am enjoying the, the role that I have and, and enjoying the responsibilities that I have. But at the end of the day, I, I need to, I need to know that I've, I've, you know, done, done right by, by people, you know, provided that they deserve it and, um, have, you know, handled things the way that, that they should be handled and have just been fair. Um, I think that we all have, um, you know, that, having that the challenging career experiences, I, I really truly think that the challenging career experiences have kind of forged me into a leader that can, you know, at least try every day to be as, as empathetic as possible to people. Now I can do that because, you know, we, we drive results here and, and, you know, we have a very high quality organization with high quality outputs and, you know, with, with not a lot of issues and, you know, thing, things are good. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, everybody at every point in the time in time that that has kind of worked in my reporting structures would say that I'm, you know, all, always soft or always glowing or anything like that. Um, but but, you know, it's it's kind of the right now, you know, 
you, you get to the point where when things are going well and everything's kind of working and you, you can you can actually have the luxury of being able to take stock of everything. You're in a good place, you know, when you say, because <laughs> we all have, I heard you say you learn through those challenges and those challenges build us. Uh, 2008, man, talk about building me. Oh, Lord, when we hit that valley. Uh, where, what about you and your career? Where were you in 2008? And what did you learn? Yeah, so, it, it, you know, when I said that the recession kind of chased me, it really felt like that. So I, uh, bef right before 2008, I was working on a government services contract. Um, it was actually for, it was for FEMA. And, and things got, you know, there were some things that had happened in 2005 with FEMA that eventually caught up to some people. Contracts were cut. Um, as a contractor, you know, I, I lost my job before 2008, right before <laughs> 2008. So I was looking for work right when everybody else ended up needing to start looking for work. Um, I, I ended up working several jobs at a time. I worked three jobs, actually, for a while during all of that. None of those jobs had anything to do with what I went to school for. None of them were full time um, and just really hustled um, for months before I landed in a, in a better spot. You know, I, I was outside of I know many of your listeners work in the mortgage industry. You know, I, I was not in the mortgage industry at that time. Uh, but experienced it from from outside of that. And it was it was rough. Mm -hmm. um, it was rough. We pulled through. I mean, I was a, I was a, a newlywed. We had just purchased a home oh. um, right before home values tanked. Uh, we ended up like so many people in that home for many more years than we thought we would be in that home. We were, you know, hand, hand to mouth for a little while there. The lessons that I learned in those really tough years, though, were invaluable. I would be a completely different person if I hadn't navigated mm -hmm. all of that. I would not have been in the place where I valued full-time work like like I value it now, like I value benefits like I value them now. Um, I, it impacted everything about mm -hmm. my spending and saving habits. Oh, wow. um, you know, I think for I think for so many of us that were early in our careers when that happened, really at any point in the career, but for those of us that hadn't really fallen into, you know, a, a kind of comfortable grown-up life at that point, and we're kind of still on the very early yeah. end, um, we could have been a completely different cohort of people than I think we've ended up being. And and for many of the people that came out of school when I came out of school in 2006, um, that that kind of ended up uh, caught up in all of that in the early years. You know, things were booming right before that for people across all industries. We came out with these expectations that were almost immediately dashed on the ground, but but really for good. I mean, we don't, you know, so, so many of the people that I um, am kind of in this cohort with, we've never taken anything for granted because we kind of came out and it was pulled away from us right away. You know, I was six years in business at the time. So I'm 21, I'm about to hit my 22 year anniversary, but in 2008, that's six years in, huge staff, huge space, huge bills, huge every overhead. And when that hit, uh, you know, when you talk about lessons learned, I learned, man, resilience. I learned to really look inward that we have the capability to overcome any challenges put in front of us and we have to face them. And when, once you face it, then that's the fun part to go, how do I pivot, shift, adjust, and the fact that you came out at that time, right, and you're still young and I'm older, uh, you know, I never looked at it in the perspective of what happened to, I'm going to say, the younger generation during that time. What did they have to do to adjust? And look at you now, right? You, I love that you said that you value full-time work, benefits, et cetera. And there's things that I just take for granted, right? So um, tell me this. You have a team now that's depending on you. 
Um, and I'm guessing there's been good and bad times in the company or struggles or challenges. Mm -hmm. How do you keep them motivated? I, I think that for, for me, keeping the team motivated comes down to regular communication. So we get, you know, I, I try to have one-on-ones with all of my direct reports weekly. Um, I try to encourage them to have one-on-ones with all of their direct reports weekly and kind of they're they're on. So the, for the entire organization, that should be happening. Um, but actually getting together as often as we can. So for, for my executive team, that's once a week at least, sometimes more often. Um, and, and talking through the challenges, not hiding them, but bringing them out and really soliciting, you know, consensus building to the extent possible. Um, you know, obviously there, there's a there's a place for consensus building and then sometimes you just have to make the decision. Sure. For me, uh, one of the things that I think has been motivational for the team in the last really two years that, that I've been at the helm is that we're, we're decisive. Mm -hmm. um, when things are challenging, as they have been for us for, you know, the last two years, really, I mean, the, the in rising interest rate environment, and we, we can certainly talk about that, but the rising interest rate environment has been just as impactful to our business, really, as it, as it has to mortgage mm -hmm. um, with, with refinance kind of going away mm -hmm. um, and bringing mm -hmm. us back to a business that is almost entirely seasonal. That, that is tough. And keeping people motivated when, you know, we see what's happening on the revenue side, that, that, is, that is difficult. But I think that, you know, the team understanding that there's somebody here who's going to make the decisions, that's going to act decisively, um, that is going to plot the course forward, but, but bring everybody along, that, that's been really big. Transparency can be motivating and can also be the opposite of motivating. So some lessons, you know, that's a lesson that, that I learned um, kind of early on in my tenure as president of this organization is, you know, transparency is something that, that we decided on like immediately. I, I was like, I'm going to be radically transparent. I'm going to, you know, share as much detail as I responsibly can with the team and then kind of quickly realized that that doesn't work for everyone at every level of the organization. Um, so now, you know, keeping the transparency that's responsible, but making sure that it's infused with the plan, mm -hmm. not just this is what is happening, but this is what we're doing about it. And this is how you can be part of it. That, I mean, I think that's been something we've, we've, I think I've hit my stride and the organization has kind of hit our stride on that more recently. Um, so, but you have to be able to, you have to communicate that regularly, consistently, often mm -hmm. in person on zooms face-to-face -face, like it, you have to do that via many channels and it, it just the consistency is very very key well uh, you and I have something in common we call our one-on-ones in our company so part of our culture I have a list of a thing called non-negotiables and it is all of the things that make up the culture of Xenix and um, I, I think by the time this podcast airs I'll have already told the team that we just want another culture award because I don't want to ruin their fun but just so you know we want another culture award and I keep going, how in the world are we keep winning, right? I am an intentional leader, but uh, one of the things you said profoundly, I believe, is going to be part of um, your award-winning culture, and that is regular one-on-ones. It sounds so simple. It really does, right? I just meet with my people once a week. We call them power meetings, um, and everybody, all my executive leaders and team knows that they will have a one-on-one -on -one with their direct leader every week or every two weeks, depending on the nature of their role. But you can't wait to the end of the year for the, uh, aha, let me get, let's do an annual review. Uh, but you'd be surprised how few people meet with their manager on a regular basis. So great instincts for you on that one. So I, that, that's something that's really differentiated for me, a, a, a good leader from a great leader from a, you know, a, a 
crummy leader, you know, they exist, um, is, is that prioritization of that one-on-one time, especially for team members. Well, I would say, especially for team members that want it, but also for team members that don't think they want it because you can usually get them on board with that fairly quickly. Um, but, but, you know, leaders, especially senior leaders, we end up with crazy travel schedules. We end up with um, last minute priorities. One thing that I have asked my team to hold me accountable for, and I think, you know, we're, we're doing a good job there, is if, if it has to move, it has to move, but let's reschedule it and let's reschedule it in the same week. Um, because, you know, rarely is there a week where there's no time. You can usually squeeze some time, even if it's just, hey, while we're sure. driving home, let's just, just jump on the phone and use the time. But that prioritization, uh, you know, it's, it's a way to meet people's needs, even if they don't think that it's a need that they have. They, it is a need that they have. So what are you most proud of right now? Uh, my team. I, I mean, I have, I have the best team in the industry. That is what has made us who we are. Um, we have a very tenured leadership team, all promoted from within. Um, there's there's none of us on our executive team at Campus Store right now who came in from outside the organization into a role on the executive team. Um, we we've all grown into these roles. We've grown into these roles deliberately, and um, you know we've kind of built the competencies and the skill sets as we've as we've come along. We all came in in different roles than we're in now. Um, and I, I'm enormously proud of that because we are all we're all practitioners and leaders. Um, and, and I think that for an organization like ours, that's important. Um, and I, I know that that's that's become culturally important for us, too. So um, the fact that, you know, there are several um, people in our organization at the vice president level who came in as seasonal processors mm-hmm. um, that have grown over the last eight, 10, 12 years into vice president level and fabulous vice president level uh, employees. I mean, it's, it's great. Um, and it's very helpful for the, the entire organization. Um, it, it means that, you know, if you're coming in as a seasonal processor, you can, there's, there's concrete examples of where your career can take you. If you're willing to be curious, empathetic, and authentic. Listen, career pathing and knowing that there's opportunity for growth is the best retention tool you could ever give someone. Cause most people, uh, that are jumping around from company to company today, aren't staying long enough to garner new skills. And so if you offer that, um, there's a huge advantage in your culture. Uh, so how many, are you managing mostly locals today or are you, do you have a hybrid team? Can you sort of give me the lay of the land of what you're having to deal with yeah. as a leader? So um, for years, probably about 24 of our like 28 years in existence, we were entirely local, central Pennsylvania, entirely local. Um, at, at one point we had hundreds, like multiple hundreds, like almost 400 employees and they were all local. Now we have, we have just under a hundred year round full-time employees and, um, they are not all local during COVID. We made this pivot to remote, like every organization, almost every organization. And we, um, you know, many of our employees decided that they were going to chase their dreams elsewhere across the country. We have, you know, we have a a staff member who uh, ended up uh, with a ranch in Texas and wanted to continue to work for us, but is there. We have staff members who have um, moved to, we have this little group of people in Arizona and a group of people in Florida that just kind of went elsewhere. Uh, I don't blame them. The weather is a lot better there than it is in California. (laughs) Um, but uh, so we've we've really done a, a hard pivot into a hybrid environment. Okay. Hybrid, in our experience, in my experience, is actually a little tougher than all remote or all in person. Mm-hmm. You have to be super deliberate about the culture, not excluding the people that don't live here. 
Um, if we were all remote, you know, we could get together a couple times a year and have a big party and get the FaceTime and then go back to, to working from home. If we're all in the office, you know, culture can't really be an afterthought. It still needs to be deliberate, but you can rely on those little formal interactions throughout the day mm -hmm. to kind of keep people connected. You can get together with a whiteboard, which historically has been hugely important to our culture here. Uh, but when you're hybrid, you have the people, the, the group that's together all the time, and, and you have that group that's really only connecting via screens. Uh, so to keep everybody together, and this is fairly recently, we decided to um, start to fly in some of the the, the leaders that, that work elsewhere in the country so that they can get together with people who are in the office and with their teams in person um, somewhat regularly. We're shooting for quarterly, but we just started it. So we've only done it once so far. It was a a raging success. We're going to continue to do that. And the other thing that we did was invest in some of our, our technology in the office to enable easier hybrid coordination. So for us, that looks like rooms that are um, super intuitively connected to teams with whiteboards that have um, that the camera can be on um, with shared whiteboard technology um, and with just it just needs to be super intuitive and easy. And, and everybody needs to just be able to almost as an afterthought connect like that. When we did that, we found that we were able to actually make some strides forward instead of just treading water. So during COVID, you know, like so many organizations, it, things eventually, once you got past kind of, um, you know, okay, we're finally remote and we're just going to, we're going to tread, um, things, things felt for us, like we're used to a very rapid pace of innovation, mm. started to feel like they were stagnating a little bit. Sure, we were we were executing on what we had to execute for for our clients, and we were you know keeping everything you know as fresh as it needed to, but we weren't actually generating new ideas and and truly new functionality. Um, but you know now that we've kind of solved for some of that hybrid collaboration, that's that the pace of that innovation has picked back up, which feels really good for all of us. You may be ahead of your time, whether you realize or not, because as a learning company today, I'm getting a lots of requests or questions on how to preserve the culture, um, because you're right. It'd be so much easier if we were just all hybrid or all in person, but because of the blend, it can be challenging. But I, I'm finding there's a lot of leaders who haven't yet figured out how to be intentional about building that remote culture. And I think early on in this uh, conversation, you mentioned uh, communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, and I just love how authentic you are by saying, you know, hey, I thought to, I should be radically transparent and that I learned. Um, Today, what is the greatest skill you want to work on for yourself to continue to lead your company? So for me, and I've encountered it's maybe it's a maybe it's somewhat gendered. I'm not sure. But for me, some of the things that I want to work on and I'm so excited to get to work on are some of the hard skills. So I have a an amazing accounting team that supports me, an amazing finance team. Casey, you know, some of these guys, they are fabulous, yeah. right? Best in class. But um, I'm, you know, maybe naturally curious enough to want to master that stuff for myself so that I can truly understand it at a, at a, a deeper level. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really excited to have the opportunity and to have a patient enough finance and accounting team to kind of let me um, drill into some of those, those hard skills. I, I think that um, that's because, you know, I, you can always be better at something. I know I can always be better at something. I'm right now I'm, I'm in that Every year, I, I try to look ahead and think about what I want to achieve in the next calendar year. And so some of those, like, they're, they're small things. They're not maybe exceptionally strategic, but but some of those things are, are on my personal growth roadmap for 2024. I think that, um, you know, leaders, we, we get caught up in... Um, 
in the next really shiny thing sometimes. For me, I, I'm, I'm always trying to, um, count, to, to balance that with um, continued growth of the hard skills as well. So the soft yeah. skills are, are also really big for us. Um, one thing, and this is not a, not, a, um, not a paid advertisement, but one thing that we have really started investing in and started investing in last year in a big way is um, training and development for, for people beyond just the senior team. So it's, that's been really important for us too. And that continues to be important to me personally too, that that's for me, but also for the team, Mm -hmm. uh, the, and especially getting into that mid-level management group to give them some actual like soft and hard skill training so that, so that they can kind of continue to develop too. I'm always wary of, of, um, investing in just myself or in just myself and my direct reports and, and not others. We're really trying to push that down throughout the organization because so many leaders, as we all know, so many, so many of us find ourselves in these leadership positions with no real playbook. Um, and so trying to develop that playbook for, for our newer managers and, and kind of, um, like frontline level managers too. So, and as they learn, it's kind of take it back to answer the question that you actually asked as they learn those things, I, I kind of butt myself into their trainings too, Mm. to, to see what I, what I've maybe missed as I've come along the way and, and what's changed and what are some of the best practices that, that I can adopt too. And then we're kind of learning together and there's nothing like learning together to, to kind of bond a team together. Oh my goodness. Well, uh, I gotta tell you, every time we have a, a training class program, et cetera. I'm always looking to see if the sponsor, the one who engaged Zenix is actually present because it makes a huge difference, right? Because it sends yeah. a message that you're important and I'm, you're so important. I'm here to help reinforce and learn myself because you don't always know the nuances of what we're training. So I applaud you for being part of that. So, um, by the way, I just love you dearly. You just are, you really are a breath of fresh air as a leader who I just think when you're, when you have self-awareness, oh my gosh, you can grow and you can grow exponentially. It's the leader that says they know everything that is challenging that where, um, so I love the vulnerability and, and what you're sharing. So how does 2024 look for you and your team? It's going to be a great year. So, you know, we've had, we've come through a tough time as have so many of your listeners that are, that are kind of close to the mortgage space. Mm -hmm. It's been challenging. It's been challenging for us for some of the same reasons, Uh, but we've persevered. We have um, we've, we've, we've taken some of the time where the volume was a little lower to um, really optimize the process and to, to learn and to cross train and to become a stronger organization, to reorganize in some strategic ways. Um, So we're, we've, we've really focused on, um, setting ourselves up for scale and, um, and the top of the funnel is looking great. So we're going to be able to really capitalize on some of the the things that we've done um, now that there's going to be more coming through from a business development perspective. We've had some, we've had some very nice wins that we've worked very hard for. Um, and so 2024 looks bright. We're, we're excited and the team's in a good spot. We're ready to rock and roll. Okay. So let's end with this. I was going to end with that, but I've got to ask you this because you just mentioned there's a lot of people right now in multiple industries. Industries You mentioned mortgage, but the financial services, banking, there's a lot of struggling industries out there. Um, what advice would you give to the executive leader? Um, let's end it with that. Work as hard as you can to stay, to stay big picture. When things are difficult, I think all of us have that instinct to, to you know, go deep, get into the weeds, cut expense, um, you know, just survive. 
and all of that's important. Survival, you know, you have to get through, um, survive till 25. I heard at some of the more recent, uh, mortgage events. So you have to do that, but, um, you can also take the opportunity when things are a little slower to, to try to stay strategic, Mm -hmm. to try to look ahead, to, to not, not cut into muscle or bone and to kind of keep your organization as healthy as it can be so that you're ready when things do turn around. The first instinct when things really got tough for us as rates started going up and, and refinance volume started drying up, you know, the, the, the instinct can be to, um, to, to just cut, cut, cut and to, to tighten everything up and, and get really into the weeds and be, you know, looking, you know, day to day, week to week, month to month financials. And, and you do have to do that and you have to have people who do that. But, um, you know, for me that the challenge has been to compartmentalize that and to, to continue to think ahead so that you're ready, um, to not do any of those like Hail Mary pivots that some people in our industry did that ended up really kind of wrecking the organization, um, to, to know your competencies, to trust that you're good at what you do, to trust your clients, to stick with you and, and to just get through it. So I would say resist the urge to get, um, to, to get super myopic in your focus and stay as high level as you can be while understanding those details, of course. Profound, uh, profound. And how true is that? I can remember back in 2008 and now with what's going on in the world, uh, staying big picture because your team needs to know where they're going. And it's not just survival. It is actually thriving. How will you thrive as you survive at the same time? So, Miss Sarah, thank you so much. I mean, what a blessing it is just to get some insight uh, from you and to spend a little bit of time. Uh, you have such unbelievable intuition about leadership and there's been some amazing people I know that have fed uh, you that you've gotten to model but you certainly um, need to need to know how much I appreciate you and and your skill set so anybody listening in I certainly hope as an executive leader you can look at yourself and go am I being authentic and transparent and empathetic and am I curious am I curious and I'm going to tell you right now in the world of AI everybody better get really curious as to what the AI will do to their business long-term. So thank you so much for your time, Sarah. What a blessing. Thanks, Casey. Thank you so much for having me. 